touching the ground, I connect with all of life. Touching my heart, I awaken compassion for all life. You are listening to Anamkara, a friend on the journey, a podcast about life, the variety of lived spiritualities of the people around us, and how we are much more alike than different. I am your host, Brother Pax. My guest today is Keith Christich. Keith is a rising star in the contemplative and centering prayer movement. He's the founder of the Closer Than Breath community and organizer of the International Centering Prayer Summit. In this episode, we talk about Jesus beyond Christianity, self-emptying, and correlations between centering prayer and Eastern meditation. So come join me on this episode of Anamkara, A Friend on the Journey. So Keith, thank you so much for being on the show today. So um, I know we've talked a bit on and off over the past couple of years, actually through Instagram. And so how would you, what are, what are some words and labels that you would use to describe yourself? Oh, words and labels used to describe myself. <laughs> um, sometimes I consider myself a mystic atheist lover of God, um, but that's just playful. You know, I, uh, I think the end of the day it's this sort of like contemplative orientation a sort of a a speedy contemplative life that i live of of trying to be slow in a world that like forces you to go fast um and they just live in those that tension so like the active contemplative um the seeker i think would be is, is pretty close to heart because i just sense the journey and it's a journey without end and yet it's a journey that i'm always at home with so um, yeah, there's a few things. So what does that look like for you in daily practice or daily, that's that balance of active and contemplative? Yeah, well, I mean, recently within the last 10 months, I'm a new father. Um, <laughs> so my old routine of having a cup of coffee in the morning and having a quiet hour and a half with my book and my journal and my meditation stool, um, those days are, are far gone now unless I wake up at four. Um, so it is really an adjustment of looking at, well, prayer and meditation used to look like this very specific thing, like monks. Um, and, you know, I used to like live that sort of try to do that daily discipline of, of being a prayerful, meditative person, reading the spiritual books. That's all still part of daily reality. But now it's like, how is caring for a crying baby also mm-hmm. prayer? How is that sacred right. love, you know? Um, so it's really an invitation to like alter what is this sort of meditative life. It makes me think of, you know, practicing the presence. And what did he say? I, I think it's I flip my little egg for God <laughs> here, I flip my little omelet or something like that. It's like, all right, the everyday chores become yep. that spiritual practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, I uh, once upon a time was a Catholic monk and uh, it was an active um, monastery as opposed to contemplative and right we said had i joined a, a contemplative one i'd probably still be there <laughs> uh, right yeah 
active when it's too active for me. All right. So how did you grow up? Were you raised religious? Were you? Were yeah, you, you know, I was, I, I was, I was raised in a, I would consider a healthy evangelical worldview. Um, the evangelical church is like bizarre and crazy and chaotic, and it's not anything I really try to associate myself in any way. But at the time, in you know the early 90s, it was like, God is your father and God loves you. And Jesus was like the symbol of that love. And so that was pretty healthy to be like, as an ego, as a person, it was like, God loves you. Like God died for you. <laughs> so I, I did grow up religious and it wasn't the sort of extreme evangelical thought that exists now. And it was fairly healthy. Um, I've certainly moved away from that sort of worldview nonetheless, but it was a religious experience um, from the very beginning. So how did you get from point A to point B, where you are now? Oh, good question. I hope I'm further than A to B. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, I, I ended up going to an evangelical college where I met my, my partner of the last 10 years. And um, yeah, there I just sort of had multiple what we might consider spiritual awakenings, just like wake up calls, you know, and uh, a lot of it was around like falling in love with liberation theology, like mm. woe to the rich, blessed are the poor. Good, Jesus came to bring good news to the poor, which is bad news to the rich. And that put me on like the social justice and activist mindset and, and activity. Um, and then falling in love with the Christian mystics because I had sort of unintentionally started meditating in my, in my dorm room and I didn't know what to call it. I thought it was meditation, meditation at the time when I was an evangelical equal Buddhism. So then I started reading books on, on Buddhist meditation, which is super helpful um, because Buddhists are like super good at meditation. Right, that's um, what they do. Yeah, that's, that's kind of their thing. And so, but eventually I was invited to a, a Franciscan friary in OFM order, the same order as Richard Rohr. Oh, yeah. And so they were talking about contemplative prayer and mystical union with God. And they were teaching the, the practice of centering prayer, like from the pulpit of like their Catholic uh, homily. One of the Father Bob, who's, who's now uh, dead, he would teach centering prayer every time he gave a, a homily. So he was teaching people how to meditate, um, which was really beautiful. So that sort of sparked this interest because I had unintentionally started meditating. And it wasn't that Buddhist flavor that I was reading about in the books. It ended up being more of this like mystical union that I was picking up in the in the Christian mystics. So right. uh, many, many years ago, as I was leaving evangelicalism for Catholicism, you know, and um, the priest that I got to know, he called himself a Zen Catholic and he introduced me to centering prayer. But for those who may not know what is centering prayer, contemplative prayer, and how does it compare to say like, uh, mindfulness meditation? Yeah, good questions. And um, yeah, you know, contemplation is a large word that means many things to many people. So when we talk about centering prayer, it's a specific, uh, it's a specific form of meditation. So I like to like picture it as like meditation as being like this giant umbrella under which like various prayer forms fall, various mindfulness falls, meditation, uh, contemplative prayer is a form of meditation. So I like to use meditation as the umbrella form. Under that stretches out a branch of con contemplative prayer. Out of that stretches a lot of different contemplative practices. Centering prayer is seen as a silent prayer form, a, a word of uh, a wordless prayer. 
So as we're accustomed to thinking of like prayer equals talking to God, well, in contemplation, we recognize God isn't a being in the sky that's like listening to us. There's nothing we need to say to get God's attention because God's already present within ourselves. So centering prayer is this sort of simple recognition that the divine presence is always and already intimately alive within us. And we just need to sort of settle down our, our spirit, settle down our mind and our heart to wake up to this reality. So. It's really meditation practice of letting go of thoughts, letting go of emotions, letting go of anything that gets in the way of, of the bare naked mind, you could say. And for those people that maybe come from evangelical backgrounds, when you say us, God, or the sacreds within us, you mean all people, regardless if they're Christian or not. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that sort of divine, I mean, if we were to use Christian language, it's like we're made in the image and likeness of God. You know, it's like that presence is eternally in us. Like God is the seed of ourself, whether we accept it or not. That's true of our enemies and it's true of ourselves. So, And, and would you describe yourself as a Christian? Uh, Jason, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, that's that's the type of question. It's like, are you an atheist or are you a theist? It's like the kind of question that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's it's a if we were to hold that term very loosely, I could really affirm that because I consider myself a lover of God, Jesus being a lover of Jesus in many ways, and also seeing God as the ultimate mystery. And so if the Christianity we affirm is one that says this is the one and true way, that's that's not a Christian that I could identify with. But if I can see Jesus as a wisdom teacher and I can see other Christians as other seekers, just like there's Buddha seekers and non-theistic seekers and Hindu seekers, then yeah, I could I could be a Christian in that sense. Okay, yeah. Um, I just interviewed a couple episodes ago, Ethan Walker, who wrote this book called The Mystic Christ. And he is a devotee of Ama, the hugging saint, Amachi. Oh, yeah. But he, this book is phenomenal. And it looks at Jesus almost as a guru or a, almost like, or a Krishna-like figure in some ways either. And taking the Gospels and looking at it very differently. Yeah. But it's very much that wisdom teacher, like you hear Cynthia, and I'm going to mispronounce her last name. Rojo. Okay. Yep. Um, it's that same type thing. Um phenomenal book by the way i highly recommend it so jesus to you would be something more like that perhaps that wisdom teacher that yeah i would stage. absolutely i mean somebody that was certainly awake to a reality that was larger than themselves <laughs> which we might call a contemplative or a mystic or a, 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 an enlightened being someone that knows they're part of a bigger picture and and being able to communicate that truth and that reality um, that's a wisdom teacher, and Jesus is certainly among one among many. Right. So, do you have others that you kind of learn from in that same way? You know, I'm not a big like uh, like gu I don't know if the right word is guru follower, right, but right. even like sure. I got super into Buddhism in the like mm -hmm. in 2000s, and now I'm like I'm not that interested anymore. It was like right. a beautiful and a healthy phase. Um, but now it's just, I just hang out with different mystics by the book, by books, you know, and I don't really consider like, I'm not a devotee in the sense where like I'm devoted to a certain God or entity or right. that it's, it's more like hanging with the people that were hanging with them, like hanging with the mystics and just seeing, what are you saying? Right. 
um, not so much looking at the finger pointing at the moon, but trying mm -hmm. to look at the moon, right? So it's the same type of thing. Um, and you would describe yourself as a mystic? Uh, that's another, I mean, I, there's a tension there, <laughs> right? Terms, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just, we just had our centering prayer summit a couple of weeks ago and, and Carl, uh, Carl McCullman was talking about that, the sort of tension between like 30 years ago, if you called yourself a mystic, it would have been like woo woo and way out there. And it'd right. be like, that's just so weird. Nowadays you call yourself a mystic and then it's like, oh, you're elevating yourself. Like, like you're above right. us. So right. it swung from one, one end to the other. Um, I would consider myself a mystic in the sense that my experience is, my spiritual experience is one of emptiness and nothingness. Okay. So whereas a lot of people think of mystics as experiencing like color and visions and having revelations and like levitating or something, my experience is nearly the opposite of just feeling self-emptying, self bare naked being. And that's where it's like, yeah, there is no God. There's just existence. And God is that exist, like open, empty existence. And so if it's a mysticism, it's a mysticism of nothingness. So I'm listening to the, the speakers on the conference and Cynthia Bourgeau talking about Thomas Keating and those you know experiences he had where did he go beyond the bounds of Christianity because it became that sense of nothingness or yeah. It, it was fascinating. Like, I, I'm going to go back and listen to that one again because it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. way that she's sharing that, like, he stretched, like, stretched Christianity. So if we can think of all of our religions as, like, a narrowing of, like, trying to box God in and God or the divine or the ultimate is unboxable, you know, then, like, there's naturally going to be these mystics that come out that sort of wake up, the infinite wakes up within them, and then they stretch the box, they stretch the border of, of the religion. And in one sense, they break the box, so they go beyond right. it. And yet, at the same time, they're still within it. And so they're creating more space for all of us. Right, right. I like that. Um, so what role for you does the church play in all this, if any? Yeah, you know, I think the church has an opportunity to wake up to its own tradition. Um, you know, I think that's one of, I think a personal passion of mine is just to help people recognize like there's a Christian contemplative tradition, there's a Christian mystical way and you don't have to become Hindu or Buddhist or just throw it all away because there's this ancient tradition that people overlook in the West because we've been taught to look for it in the East. And so, you know, I think the church has a, a, an unopened toolbox. Um, personally, I'm not an active church goer at the time. I haven't been for a, a few years. Um, but I think that there's tools there if they if they decide they want to open it. And um, it'd be a shame if they didn't. I mean, there's that famous Karl Rahner quote that the Christian of the future will be a mystic or there won't be a Christian of the future. Ooh, so. That's good. Yeah. Um, and do you have to be a Christian to practice centering prayer? I absolutely not. No. Yeah. No. And I feel like you kind of answered that. But I thought, you know, um, when I was looking back at it, over the past few months and I'm like, all right, I don't know that I identify as a Christian. I'm kind of like Gandhi, I, I appreciate you, Christ. I'm not so not so fond uh -huh. of the Christians. Uh -huh. um, and so I was like, all right, I, this feels awkward to me. And then for those who don't know, how do you do it? What do you do when you practice centering prayer? 
Right, right. Well, let me just say this quick, because I think this helps okay. give shape to like centering prayer as a Christian tradition, but you don't have to be a Christian. Just like yoga is comes out of Hinduism, but you don't have to be a Hindu to practice yoga. Just like mindfulness is a sort of secularization of Buddhist practice. You don't have to be a Buddhist to practice mindfulness. We're practicing mindfulness now. Um, and so, yeah, you don't have to be a Christian to practice centering prayer, even though okay. it, that, that's yeah. of its roots. But the method, so you asked about the method, is really about, um, it's it's so simple it gets complex. <laughs> um, and so it's really about choosing sort of either your breath, working with your breath, or what we call a sacred word that is sort of a symbol for your intention to consent to God, to say yes to the divine, to say, to, to say yes and celebrate the presence of God within you. And then essentially going about 20, a 20 minute meditation practice where we're letting go of anything that passes the mind's eye, whether it be a thought, an emotion, a body sensation, a memory, an email you're writing in your head, you let that go, that, that gesture of self-emptying. Say, my ego wants, for me, I write emails when I meditate. That's <laughs> so like, another email, I got to think about this. And then it's like, oh no, I'm not here to write emails. So I self-empty, I let go, even though I, my ego, I, wants to hold on to that thought. Um, and so it's really this process of self-emptying and, and letting go and returning to what we say is the divine presence within ourselves. So mm, that's good. Yes. And so talk a little bit about Closer Than Breath and how did it come to be and what prompted you to create it and what is it? Yeah, well, Closer Than Breath was a, a divine accident in many ways. <laughs> um, it's a Currently, it's an online contemplative community, um, and so made up of people literally from all over the world. Our, our sort of core membership base is from all across the U.S., all across Canada, from Malaysia to Germany, England uh, to Australia, like people literally from all over the place. And um, it grew up out of the pandemic when everybody was at home. I, I was at home and I started putting out free meditation and free contemplative prayer courses and just started to invite people to join me and do this thing. We're all stuck at home. We're all stuck dealing with our own heads and our own emotions and our own solitude, you know, and eventually just a really solid community grew up that each week we were practicing centering prayer together. And I started doing, I started doing like monthly contemplative teachings on the practice and then started inviting other guest teachers and, and other authors to, to come in and do some teaching. And then it just sort of continued to grow and evolve. And now we have multiple online conferences through the, through the year. And we have five meditation groups and closer than breath and various courses and guest teachers. So it's this, this sort of accidental, uh, organization <laughs> but a but a beautiful one that i'm proud of so. uh, this past one that just happened i was so floored at the names that were part of this i mean people have um, books i've read it was like oh wow this is this is amazing um and just listening to the content i'm just blown away it's fantastic and and i feel so blessed to to be able to hear these teachers and feel close yeah. to them in that sense of like sitting at the feet of the master a little bit yeah yeah it's so wonderful and just to connect with them and and just realize that there are normal people sitting at home behind their computer screens just like we are a lot of the time so yeah. so i guess my last question for you today is i know you play guitar and banjo do you still play now oh yeah 
I do. I guess I, I would say I play a lot less now that I'm a father, but right, definitely the, right. both of them are out at least once a week. So the guitar is okay. always out floating around the house. So, oh yeah. Right. And you know, I'll just say like music is sort of one of those practices that stimulates that like heart center for me, mm-hmm. where like meditation can sort of be mental or you're emptying your mind in some ways and like song and singing and music is just like puts me straight in the heart. So chanting is a big part of my practice and, and music in general. So absolutely. Um, if someone wanted to learn more about Close and Breath or you, how would they find you? They, you could go to closerthanbreath.com and you could go to closerthanbreath.com slash newsletter to join our sort of weekly newsletter. And that's, that's ideally the best place. Otherwise I'm on Instagram at my, my full name, Keith Christich. All right. Well, Keith, thank you so much for taking time to be here tonight and talk to me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Jason, it's super fun to be with you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. This has been another episode of Anamkara, a friend on the journey. Thank you for walking with me as we spent time exploring the varieties of religious and spiritual expressions out there. Won't you consider joining our Patreon? Get sneak peeks of what is to come, early previews, and soon to have some video footage from the interviews, as well as polls on what you would like to see cover in future episodes. Join our Patreon today. The link is in the show notes.